Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby-related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today I'm speaking with Nicole Morales. She's a home birth midwife in the San Diego area, an instructor at the Nizoni Institute of Midwifery, a spinning babies trainer, and a birthing from within certified mentor. And Nicole and I are speaking about breech births. So I did a little research to figure out how many, and the statistic I came up with, breech birth occurs in approximately one out of 25 full-term births. So there's a strong chance that those listening or those that are birth workers listening have worked with some breach parents. And so Nicole and I talk a lot about maybe why this is happening, what you can do. Can the shape of the uterus affect the baby's birth position? A lot of really interesting stuff. Before we get to that, I just want to give you a little insight to how I find my guests. So it's important for me to have a guest that I resonate with. I get sent a lot of inquiries and some of them I jump on because I'm like, yes, I want to connect with this person. But I also put a lot of time in researching into something that's going to get me excited to talk to someone about, whether it's a person or a topic. And I really dig deep. And I search all over. I look at other podcasts. I listen to a ton of other podcasts. I look through Lama's conference, the Midwifery Today conference. And I'm just in awe of the work that birth workers are doing out there. So I wanted to send a shout out to all the birth workers and the pre and postnatal yoga teachers who work so hard to continuously support the pre and postnatal community. I want to thank you for your hard work because it's just adding to helping parents transition through pregnancy into this really interesting, vulnerable time. So it just gets me excited to see how much is out there and excited to continuously bring this to you. If you have a moment and you're around a computer or your phone and you can leave a rating and review that would help people continuously find the work that the birth workers and I are doing and the yoga teachers are doing, it's such important work. So thank you for those out there that are doing this work for the pregnant and postpartum population. Okay, we're going to take a really quick break and when we come back, we're going to talk with Nicole. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Nicole. How are you today? 
I'm fine. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, actually. I'm so excited to speak with you. So I love the spinning babies technique. I've interviewed Gail. I've worked with um, Sarah from Bluma. I've been studying this for years. I'm very much uh, of the understanding about the body and how, and it's imbalance, it can help with fetal position or affect fetal position. So the, the idea that I had a chance to chat with you even uh, more in depth about this was incredibly exciting. So yay. All right. So I guess we'll just jump in with, um, do you mind just telling me a little bit about yourself and how you got into birth work? Well, I got into birth work because of kids and being a mother, um, had my babies starting in the mid nineties, um, at home, uh, just kind of accidentally fell into doing home births as a young mother and started going to friends births and then got dragged into some doula births work. And I, um, eventually decided to become a home birth midwife. So I work as a, I have a small practice here in San Diego, California doing home birth. And then I also, I'm a birthing from within mentor as well. So I've been doing um, birth classes and I also kind of took a turn for working, doing some breach advocacy because my third baby was breach. And so she was born, um, uh, at home breach because that's just part of my belief system's from the beginning, um, it was a little bit different back then, you know, when you, when, when that's normalized, it, it becomes a a different decision making process, um, than a lot of people are faced with. Did you have a midwife attended home birth? Um, yes, I did. Okay. And, and I love hearing that you had a midwife that would deliver a vaginal breach at home. Um, that's so, uh, out of the ordinary in the culture here in New York city. Yeah, well, you know, this was a while back, and, and um, I think that more so it was I. So, well, sometimes it's more about I'm letting people know I'm going to do this, and would you like to help me? Because at that point, I was catching babies and almost a midwife myself. Um, so it, it's it becomes a different deci- there's different process of decision making um, when you know there's a, a great deal of responsibility there. So let's back up a little bit because we have some listeners that might not even know what I'm talking about, this whole breach thing. <laughs> you know, they're, they're nearly pregnant. They're, you know, they don't have maybe um, a ton of birth experience or even family that's um, given birth. So can you explain what breach position is and the variations of breach? And also, when should someone start to be concerned if the baby's not yet head down? So uh, babies that are breech, um, it's where their little bum is low in the pelvis and presenting or where a foot is down there or feet are down there and the head is up. Um, it's different than transverse where the baby's lying straight across. And um, there's different types of breech where the legs can be folded up, kind of like babies in a pike position, but going upward. And um, babies also can sit cross-legged at like Taylor sitting right down. Like into little that. yogis. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, and so that's, um, so that's the breach positioning and, um, you know, it's interesting to look at when should babies be head down and we have all sorts of, um, opinions about that, of course. Um, but we usually see most babies go head down by 32, 33 ish weeks. And of course, if somebody's had a lot of babies or more, more than, more than three or four babies, um, it's going to take longer for that baby to, um, to probably go head down if that's what it decides to do. Um, because there's just a lot more space and room in that uterus. And, um, and that's a variation of normal as well. 
But especially for, you know, first-time parents or for parents who've had breach before because their chances of having another baby go up significantly, um, you know, we're really looking at something around 32, 33 weeks um, where, where, you know, there can be some, uh, where, where we're going to notice that that baby is head down or head up a little bit more. And it doesn't mean that anything's wrong or abnormal if the baby happens to be head up at that time, but it's a time where you might take notice and maybe you'll do more, more, um, self-care body balancing, um, you know, whether it's stretching or, um, maybe somebody will decide to do chiropractic, um, something like that. But, you know, that's really 32 to 34 weeks. And then around 34 weeks is, is kind of the time period where, we're going to pay a little even more extra attention and we might employ some more self-care techniques, um, maybe doing more forward leaning inversions or um, a breech tilt on a slant board um, or go in for the chiropractor or to certain massage therapist who, who specialize in fetal positioning or um, acupuncture. So there's a lot of different things people can do. And, you know, I think the other thing during that period of time is we start paying attention to uh you know, fetal positioning in the body because, you know, there's one thing for babies to be breached. I I think some babies are meant to be breached and some uteruses are meant to carry breach and there's not, and it's not abnormal, but some people, it's almost like the baby misses an opportunity to go head down because of the soft tissues or because of the space available for baby to go head down. And so thinking about like, how do we create balance and space so that if baby can turn, it will. And if you have somebody who has certain compression patterns or previous injuries or scars or, um, you know, it, it, they've been compensating for different things a long time, whether it be uh, really hard ab workouts during pregnancy and high heels <laughs> or whether it be, um, be just lack of movement too, is that the body compensates and there can be, it can be the only space that this baby has to fit in is to put its head up right next to the ribs. We had a student, she just gave birth a few weeks ago. She is her third and all three babies were breached into about 38 weeks. And then they eventually went head down. And this time her care provider said, you have a very soft uterus as her third. And she literally was holding her belly, like baby head down. She's like, I'm holding this baby there. Um, but that's, yeah. I love that you're talking about the soft tissues and balance. And it's something that uh, I'm passionate about in the way that we teach yoga, because we look at how we create, as you said, balance in the soft tissue, in the pelvis, the bony pelvis itself. And as you're saying, like heart ab workout, as much as I I'm obviously for pro exercise and yoga. I do. I'd love if you could dip into what are some of the things that can create imbalance in the body. I know that um, a little bit of a flashback from my first birth and pregnancy. I was a, a cyclist and I didn't really stop. Um, and I know that created some imbalance in the psoas and stuff. And so I talk a lot about in class um, the intrauterine constraint, which I have to remind them it's not intrauterine growth restriction. They're totally different things. <laughs> Um, I was wondering if you can dip into that a little bit about um, about the balance and why it's important. Um, well, you know, I, I kind of see everything as in a cont- container in a sense. So the top of the container is the respiratory diaphragm and the bottom being the pelvic floor. Some people don't like that term, but but thinking about like maybe even a clay pot, you know, and, and you can have um, a lot of pressure on one side of the body from 
let's say I had somebody from roller derby, for instance, <laughs> and there's certain compression patterns, you know, from going around the rink over and over in one position. But what you can do is you can have really a lot of tightness and strength on one side and the, yet it's the other side that has um, pain. And it's the other side that, you know, has, has different things going on as well. And, and what we have is we can have loose or tight ligaments or loose or tight muscles, or um, we can have fascia, which is the in-between of everything, right? And it's kind of like these 3D wet spider webs. And it's where so much of the hydration of tissues come from too. And that can get kind of crumpled up and pull along the fascial lines, even from a distance. And, you know, and, and sometimes just pain is a sign of imbalance too. Um, we tend to normalize pain in pregnancy because um, we, meaning like, you know, the, the uh, system does, um, because there's not answers for how to, um, how to help people. And when you don't have answers, there's tends to be a normalization. And, and for some reason, some people, that pain may not affect their birth much. And for other people, it can be something that is a sign of that imbalance. And that imbalance um, inhibits the baby's ability to either rotate being head down or rotate, rotate from being breech into what might be a more optimal position for that particular baby and parent. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That's great. Can you talk us about, so now we know, so now I love that idea of the container and, and your visualization. I love how I talk about the fascia, the wet spider web. That's fantastic. Um, we talk a little bit more about how the uterus shape can affect the baby's position too. Well, there's people with special uteruses or uteruses that have different shapes to them. And, and so there can be less space for babies to be able to turn head down. And maybe these people might have mothers or grandmothers or great grandmothers who gave birth breach too. And maybe they just birth vaginally breached because that's what they used to do. Right. Um, and, and so there can be different things like that, but also, you know, there's different shapes. There's unicornate uteruses and bicornate uteruses and arcuate and, it just shows that there's uh, sometimes there's a septum down the center. And I, I find that there's a wide range of different kinds of uteruses, even if there's someone, for instance, told they have a bicornate uterus. Um, I always suggest you start um, balancing earlier, like 28 weeks. You Can you explain kind of, bicornate in case someone's listening to like, oh, that's over my head? Like they have two horns on the uterus and um, comes on down into the vagina. So the baby has, there's a septum in the uterus dividing it into to two halves. And 
that septum might be really short or it also might be really long. And so um, one baby in one person's uterus might have more space to be able to turn later in pregnancy, whereas another one might not. It can just hit that septum and not be able to go any further. Um, and so that can be a reason to be a little more proactive earlier. And sometimes you don't know you have a bicornate uterus or a unicornate uterus until you're in labor uh, or you don't know or until a cesarean or and maybe you don't know until you... I've seen people find out during ultrasounds when they had contractions, they could see it only when they had the contraction. And, and so only one side of the uterus will get tight if it's a unicornate uterus and it's, they only have one, one section on one side. But it's, everybody is so very different. But these are definite um, maternal reasons for babies being breech. You know, um, there can also be reasons that babies are breech. Um, every, everything from anomalies to, um, cords being a little bit shorter. I think a lot of people will blame cords more often than that's the case. I think the incidence of cords being around babies' necks are the same as head down babies, you know, and, um, but that could be a reason of, of restriction. Um, you know, and uh, other things can play into the way of, as far as maternal anatomy, like, a like a fibroid. You know, a fibroid, you know, we have an eight centimeter fibroid next to a baby's head and uh, that baby's less likely to be able to move. Yeah, they just yeah. don't have space. Mm-hmm. What I thought was interesting, and I don't remember exactly when I learned this, and I remember talking to Gail about this when I had a chat with her, was about a lot of people think of the uterus just as like um, a balloon even, and that it's... Uh, it's steeper on one side and more rounded on the other. And when we talk about fetal position, kind of, you know, it's not, of course, every uterus is different. Every pelvis is different. Why everyone wants LOA left occiput anteriors. Cause it's, I didn't realize at one point that it was more rounded. So the chin is tucked more in than on ROA where there's more chance for the chin to move away from the, from the baby's chest. So starting just to think about the way your baby's sitting in your uterus and when your body's configuration can affect fetal position. I find this fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about what are some of the challenges that parents face with a breach late in pregnancy? Well, I I see. So one of the things I do is I see about eh, anywhere from zero to five people a week um, who are presenting breach at the end of pregnancy. And I I usually do two hour sessions with them. And, um, you know, the first 20 to 30 minutes is a lot of it is working with the fact that they're in trauma about finding out their baby's breech at 37 weeks when they were planning a natural birth. So they're coming in a bit shell-shocked because, you know, anytime our plans for something really important in our life um, change, it can be quite a shock. And then the rest of the session that I, I work with them with, you know, I, I feel baby, I palpate with my hands and find baby's position, make sure baby's still breech. Now and then baby will be head down and everybody thinks I'm so great. <laughs> But <laughs> I didn't do anything. Um, but then for the next couple hours, we, you know, the rest of the two hours, we will work systematically releasing muscles and ligaments and fascia. And then at the very end, so we're doing the balance and the softening. And then at the very end, we'll do um, the slant board um, and use gravity and movement to see if we can shift baby if that's necessary. Um, but a lot of parents are free, uh, facing a lack of information a lack of support, a lack of resources. Um, I think that, you know, it seems a very cut and dry situation for a lot of providers because they don't do breech birth because we have a lack of um, skilled providers right now. 
and acceptance, at least within the United States. I think that resurgence is happening elsewhere for vaginal breach. So, you know, people are coming in at 37 weeks and they and they're looking for alternatives and information about what their options are. And, you know, we do have a like, for instance, here in San Diego, there's a few providers who will do vaginal breach in the hospital. Some people would have to travel depending, you know, to Los Angeles or elsewhere. Um, and there's a, a home birth doctor in Los Angeles who travels and does home birth breach. Um, you know, so there's there's some options out there. But so we'll talk about that. But most people are really more interested in information about the baby going head down and what an, <clears throat> what an external cephalic version is. And so um, that's where the provider would um, usually they do it around 37 weeks and, um, and you have a, quite a range, actually 36 to 39 weeks seems to be the range for when providers choose to do it, um, ECBs. That's what they're called. And, um, and so the provider will go ahead and use their hands to help turn the baby, um, from the external. And so a lot of people will actually even come in to see me for softening before they go in for the external versions. Cause it's, it's such a different process. If you soften the tissues that you're trying to move the baby past. How much, how often do you see that done in your area? We definitely have, we have a few here in New York that are kind of the top dogs that people go to. Um, but I don't see it as much. I feel like it's starting to dwindle a little bit. Maybe it's just from my students and clients coming and telling me. I don't know if the option is not being put on the table quite as much, um, but I'm not seeing nearly as many performed, and I'm seeing more just straight to cesarean. And and our few providers that used to, as I was mentioning before, deliver vaginal breach are not doing that. So our our options are dwindling here. Well, you know, 11% of all cesareans in the United States are for breach. Okay. So, you know, breach might only be 4% of the population, but 11% of the 100% of cesareans are breach. And, you know, in, and when we look at the research, we do look at, um, of course, we all want to reduce interventions and um, make sure that we have better outcomes for babies and for for the the parents who are delivering. But you know, one of one of the things that we have to be aware of is that you know when we're looking at statistics, people frame statistics and risk um, to what they know. And you know, sometimes we're just pushing risk down to the second pregnancy or the third pregnancy or the fourth pregnancy. And certain um, certain statistics internationally have have shown that there's there is more risk for maternal mortality in the next pregnancy and the one after for for the both that mother and for that subsequent pregnancy and baby. Um, so I I think it is you know like how do we create other options because, um, you know, and and the option of having a planned cesarean for a breech birth is a fine option if that's what somebody wants, and how do they claim that and own that and um, be able to, to feel as if they had, I think a lot of people come in here because they don't feel like they will have a process for their birth, you know, and how do they have a process for that cesarean, whether it's going into labor ahead of time or whether it's getting naked under the covers with their family and like talking to the baby about what's going to happen that day when they walk in for the planned cesarean. And then some people, their mother gave birth breach and their grandmother gave birth breach and they're not given that option. And they're very confident in, in traveling if they need to travel or, or, um, finding providers who are going to help them. 
But right now, as you mentioned, it's hard for that. So ECBs are seem to be constantly in flux. And I think I saw more of the ECB levels were higher in years past, and I'm starting to see less confident providers um, with ECBs. And the nurses that I talked to seem to report that it's an ugly, it's an ugly experience. And the, the thing about an ECB is there's a range for it for turning the baby. So, so on one end of the s- spectrum of ease, you know, spending babies uses this idea of the spectrum of ease, but on one end of the spectrum of ease, you know, you can use two fingers to turn a baby. And in the other end of the spectrum of ease, it can be two providers with their entire weight on that belly turning the baby. And those experiences are nothing alike. And the risk factors for those two things are nothing alike. And I think one of the things that's hard is when ECVs aren't offered or um, someone is scared of one is that they don't, um, that we don't know where that's, where things are going to lie on that spectrum. And what we do know about um, external versions is, um, is that providers who are good at them are good at them. And providers who just don't do them very much aren't good at them. <laughs> yeah, that's the saying. Like we have a few that get referred to all the time. And I'd say in my mind, only two names pop up and no one else does it. And I, I don't know if it's, as one of my friends said, no one likes to look stupid. So if they don't know what they're doing. They're not going to do it. Yeah. You know, and, and with spinning babies, it, it, you know, what we're doing is different people. I, I do this breach body balancing class of the work that I do. And, and some of this is going to be part of a spinning babies aware practitioner course. We're going to be a workshop we're teaching in August. Um, but you know, the, the work that I do within that two hour session, some people are doing it before ECVs and in, in, in hospital and are finding a great success. Um, and that they're reducing the numbers of, of ECVs that one either need to be done or two or how difficult that that is on that spectrum by softening the tissues, you know? Um, and so, and I know I was talking to a midwife in Brazil and there's an obstetrician there who's, who will try to do the ECV. And if it doesn't work, then do the body balancing. <laughs> and we should flip that. <laughs> and then have success at the ECV. And, you know, and, and so, I think it's a little frustrating that we group everything and lump everything within um, a certain experience that is really difficult for both the parent and the baby. And um, but yeah, I, I, there's more information coming out about when ECVs are going to be successful. They just came out with research about amniotic fluid in front of the head of the baby allows the ECVs to happen more often and um, have more success. So with research like that, maybe certain people will be more apt to try for certain babies. But, you know, with spinning babies, I think about how do we create that space or um, the space for that water to be there in mm-hmm. the first place. And and also thinking about where the restrictions for the head and the bum are, um, you know, because we tend to think of it all as like, oh, the baby's breech and that's it. But there's nuances to what is holding that baby in place. Mm-hmm. You I know, want to talk about the philosophy of spinning babies in a moment, but before we jump into that, can you talk about, I just want to get a little bit into why some care providers, what's the concern about delivering breach vaginally? And then I'd love to dive more into the spinning babies. Well, there's a decent amount of fear around breach vaginally. And I'd say right now, a lot of it came out of the term breach trial of 2000. 
there's stuff before that. I'm actually fascinated right now because I'm reading research from the 1930s and 40s. Um, and, and what's it saying? Well, it's saying that they were looking at mortality rates of like up to 28% for breach. But, you know, you also have a time period where they're giving ether to people and delivering babies breached by forceps in the mid-pelvis. And they were saying the, the top two reasons for babies dying for being breached happened to do with prematurity and the cervix not being fully dilated before they did the extraction. And they called it literally soft tissues were the reason for, um, for deaths. And, and it's fascinating looking at that because, you know, a lot of the fear, if you start looking, I like to look at obstetrical research, like storytelling, right, of where the story starts leading and where people pick it up from there as far as uh, mechanical interventions and with birth. But in any case, that, that part of the story had eventually probably gotten a lot better once people weren't fully anesthetized, right? or using ether right before delivery, or doing high forceps for breech babies, um, or e extraction. Um, and then it, you know, it picked up and was seen as safer for a while until the cesarean became safer. And then with the breech trial of 2000, what happened is that it was um, about, I don't know, over 2000 people were involved in this study. And they did, you know, um, they did, you know, cesareans as well as vaginal breech birth, and they stopped it early because it looks so bad for vaginal breech birth. And then people stopped teaching breech. They stopped doing breech. Hospitals standardized and no longer did breech. And then two years later, all the information about what was wrong with that study came out. And there was babies that had passed before going into labor. There were... Um, there were lots of different unskilled providers doing these births. Um, and so once they kind of took that information and changed, you know, and took out the unskilled providers and, you know, it looked more equal. There was still morbidity for the baby. Um, that was difficult to um, assess because bruised testicles was in the same category as neurological damage. So it's hard to pull out what's what. Um, but then you have in 2008 the Premoda study um, out of um, out of Europe and and that one was with 8,000 people and it was equally safe between a cesarean and vaginal bridge birth and of course they had skilled providers but it's but everybody was still stuck in 2000 you know liability also and once you had even if even though we had um, people who had experience with breach and were confident with it hospitals were standardizing and there was a lot of pure pure um, uh, peer pressure not to do breach so that everyone was on the same playing field. And um, I think the hard part about this comes down to the fact that parents want certain things for their own bodies, right? You know, and as a mother, I, I got to have that choice. I chose to have a vaginal, vaginal breach birth and, and it was, it was a pretty straightforward process. I learned a lot from that, right? Uh, as a midwife, you know, she, she, she gifted me a lot of different things. Um, but then we also have the, out of 2016, um, Anka Ryder and Frank Loven published um, out of Frankfurt, Germany. Um, they've had a thousand vaginal breach and they found an 80% reduction of maneuvers when, um, you know, when people, uh, when there was a, the delivery position was in hands and knees and they, they discovered gravity. <laughs> <laughs> they just, as if 
suddenly ground. Sorry. <laughs> that just makes me laugh. <laughs> I but, will. But that's true. What, the, what we realize now um, is that, you know, a lot of the rotations for vaginal breech birth are, are supported by gravity. <laughs> it just reminds me years ago when I was a pretty new doula, I remember asking the care provider what position the baby was in. And she's like, it doesn't matter. And I felt like such an idiot because I had just been talking to my client about baby position and possibly pushing on all fours and being at kind of like an upward slant of holding the, the bed and using like, and I'm like, we can use gravity. And then I felt immediately debunked with that idea. So I'm glad that science is caught up saying gravity. It's our friend. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it's completely caught up, but maybe just with breach. I I actually really believe that we can change birth through breach. That would you know, be amazing. Like, all, like for head down babies, because people pay attention differently with breach. You know, with the international breach community right now, which is just amazing. You know, they're really looking at the details of how do we, how is baby participating in its own birth? What are its reflexes? How can we um, maintain the hormonal communication so we don't interfere with those reflexes? You know, how do we, you know, or even with pregnancy, how do we create space and how do we do this better? And, you know, let's do that for the head down babies too. Oh, I totally agree. And looking at babies' um, participation is huge. They're not just about like, obviously their heart rate and their breathing, you know, and their health, but how are they rotating? What, how are they moving? How are we communicating? How's the hormone? Yeah, absolutely. I am. I'm on that bandwagon of yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you were talking about, uh, the shape of the uterus and breech babies tend to like to be on the right side a little bit more than the left side. You know, although babies come out breech both sides, just like head down on both sides, but but um, for me, when my baby came out, it was so fascinating because when she was coming out, I thought at first I thought somebody was shaking her, right? And I looked down and she was rocking herself back and forth. And all of a sudden I had this pressure and I pushed and all of a sudden her legs just went, whoop. <laughs> and then like the a spring. <laughs> yeah. And then the pressure came up and she rocked again. And then the elbows came out with the next push, you know? And oh. then the pressure built and then the arms, you know, and then I felt like I was done. Um, I that's, wasn't. <laughs> that's <laughs> and, fascinating. You know, I shifted positions and, and she still didn't come right away. And um, my husband was actually helping catch at the birth and he was holding the baby's bum, her bum, her name is Nelia, her bum. And, and then he just decided to let it go. And when he let it go, we always say her feet touched the ground running before she was born. <laughs> But then she did this, this, um, what we call a tummy scrunch where her, she, you grab the babies will, it's a reflex. They'll lift their legs and they'll, you'll, they'll pull up their arms with fists and throw their head forward into flexion. And that's how she came out. And that's, and she came right on out after she was let uh, allowed to do that. Right. Because now she, her body was free and able to, but you know, these, these are the ways babies can help. And is she still on the go? Is that is that just a reflection of her personality? Um, you know, she's she's still somebody who comes about things from different directions. You know, she doesn't like learn math the same way other people does. She goes around a completely different direction and yet still gets there. Or she thinks about things differently, and and she's really proud of that too. 
you know. I think, I mean, maybe it needs to sound like a wackadoo, but I think the way babies are in the body, you know, it's a reflection of their personalities. That's just, maybe it's a little new agey for some, but I hold that yeah. in my heart. Well, okay, I'm going to yeah. start to, yeah. That, that can sometimes be frustrating though, because people be like, oh, this is a stubborn baby or this is a, you know, and, and I'm like, well, you know, sometimes it's babies know more about the space they have than we do. And there's also all these old wives tales and, you know, about babies putting their heads up to be close to the, the, heart. the parents' heart to <laughs> comfort them and, um, you know, or putting their heads up to get attention or there's all these different things. And I think that how we spin it matters, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, one thing we can always say, how nice of you to do this, but, you know, I think also if we're looking at anatomy, reflecting the emotional status of things, and we can always check in with that, whether your baby's head down or head up and how do we create more space in our external life and our emotional life? How can we acknowledge this baby that is head up or head down, you know, um, in using, in, in being in the space. So, you know, sometimes baby's positioning can also bring certain opportunities for connection. I, I agree. We've talked about, we've kind of referred to spinning babies multiple times. So can we dive a little deeper into that? Can you talk about the philosophy of spinning babies and how the physiology of the body balancing can affect baby's position? So, um, so spinning babies, um, has a lot of things about balance, gravity and movement. Um, and they're really looking at shifting the way that we talk about things in pregnancy and in birth and, um, about it's really a lot of the spinning babies philosophy is what we've already talked about in our previous conversation and that we create balance and we use gravity and we use movement and in doing so that, you know, babies are able to find the space that that they need to find the position that's best for them for delivery. Um, and so so that's, you know, I think spinning babies is really looking at um, movement in our world. I, I really love it because it's coming back down to the basics. You know, we get so caught up in all these different things and we're really looking at movement, body work. I mean, these are all traditional midwifery skills you know, from around the world. You look at indigenous midwifery, this is what they're doing. And, you know, of course, spinning babies is kind of this um, amalgam of different things like osteopathic and chiropractic and traditional midwifery has influenced us as well. Um, And probably traditional midwifery influenced the osteopaths and the chiropractors and, and all these other things that we're bringing together but it's really looking at the fact that the modern world itself right now is an intervention. Yes. And, I, yeah. And so how, how do we create balance after this intervention has just been part of our daily lives? And how do we um, help come back down to those basic things of the body and the baby's body and the soft tissues? I, you know, soft tissues, like, you know, as I said, I've been doing this obstacle, obstetrical research and soft tissues used to be really acknowledged back in like the late 1800s or even in the 1800s by obstetricians. And, um, of course people named them all the, the body parts after them too. But, um, you know, you look at that and then it got forgotten. The soft tissues did, um, within, you know, the Western medical paradigm, it's back down to just the bones or maybe the soft tissue of the cervix, itself for breach may not have gotten forgotten, but, um, 
but there's sometimes there's a bigger picture to what creates space for even the bones to be able to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I like that. Can you talk so a little I, bit about I, how they utilize in, um, the inversions and the slant board? I tried telling my students about the slant board, and I had one that's just like, where am I getting a slant board? <laughs> and I'm like, ironing board? She's like, we don't iron. <laughs> well, you know where I was the other day? I got invited to a park, and the park was one of those ones that you'll go ice blocking in, you know? <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't, but um, <laughs> it's a really steep hilled park. And, um, I was like, wow, this is a perfect, perfect breech tilt. (laughs) Okay. Will you talk about what a breech tilt is? Yeah. So there's, there's two things that we suggest, um, if babies are still, um, still breech beyond the regular things that we do. And one of those is called a forward leaning inversion, which is something we suggest for head down babies. Um, but only one a day, whereas with, um, breech, we might do it more often. And the forward leaning inversion is very different than what's called the breech tilt. So the forward-leaning inversion is where you um, you go forward off of the couch onto the floor or off of a stair on, onto a lower um, ground, a very solid area, um, where you're at a 45-degree um, or a 30-degree um, inversion. And what it does is that it releases the ligaments, the uterosacral ligaments, and cervical ligaments. And it also um, can help untwist any non-physiological twists in the uterus. And so this is what we're doing with a forward-leaning inversion. We're not just using gravity to get the baby out of the pelvis. We're using gravity to release the soft tissues. And so you can do this once a day if you happen to have a head-down baby. But if you're breached, you might do, you might try to keep those, those um, ligaments lengthened by doing them more often throughout the day. And a breech tilt, on the other hand, is actually something that um, oh, I'm trying to remember her name. De La Sousa came up with as far as an obstetrical research out of India. And she was using just a breech tilt with pillows. And it's been adopted over the years into being an ironing board because it's easier to get up on an ironing board, believe it or not, if you do it the right way. And so an ironing board, I used a... I used a um, I used a bunk bed ladder for a breech tilt when I was pregnant, and I wouldn't suggest that. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> knowing that you're in San Diego, I thought you were going to say surfboard. I'm like, she's going to say surfboard. Nope. <laughs> the, problem, I, I, the problem with the surfboard is they can they can tip oh. back and forth. So you got to be really careful about these. So, and I think an, I, I've got like a, a yoga mat underneath an ironing board, and um, and so there's this, there's the right way to get up on it, but you're pretty much at that at that uh, angle off of a low couch onto the floor and you just, you stay there for 10 minutes, three times a day. And the idea about this is literally helping gravity pull the baby down from the pelvis. And there's also a releasing of ligaments that's, that are happening as well in that position. But, um, but especially for those babies that have gotten deeper into the pelvis, um, this is a great exercise to do, um, to help make change. But even if the baby's not too deep, sometimes it'll bring the baby up to the top of the uterus and help that baby flex. And it's might dive back down, you know, when you get back up off that, that breech tilt board. Um, I do a little bit more work. I do some of the abdominal releases of spinning babies while we're on the board, Mm -hmm. um, use a little bit of, of motion and, um, you know, you find certain tricks that you can do of, um, of the breech tilt to help, um, help release a baby from that might be really deep, deeply engaged. So I've 
talked a lot about that in class with students about the forward leading inversion. I've demonstrated on yoga blocks to show them the angle um, and exp- I've drawn pictures of like a couch because we don't have a lot of stairs here in the city, <laughs> flat apartments. Um, but I've had some students just very uncomfortable with that. And are there other alternative options that can help with baby position or getting a baby head down? I know you touched on some. Will you go a little deeper into that? Um, well, there's some different things that you can do to get a baby head down. You can go dive down in a swimming pool. You can lie upside down on that hill, um, you know, allow that baby to come down. Um, you can get body work like chiropractic or acupuncture, moxibustion um, on those pinky toes. You know, you can do that along with the slant board as well. Homeopathy. Um, so there's a lot of different hip hypnosis is one of the things people do. And a lot of people are coming in at the end of pregnancy and they're doing this crazy checklist of like 20 things a day. And sometimes it's like, wow, that's a lot of stuff you're doing. It's amazing if the body can take up that much stuff, it might be overload. So sometimes it's easier to select just a handful, you know, of things to do and, and really also become grounded in yourself. I think that's sometimes forgotten as an important thing. Um, some people will try to do open knee chest and, as well, um, if they don't want to do the slant board, it's one of the positions you can look up on spinning babies. Um, you'd have to h- hold it for quite a while. So you'd need a couple supporters with you while you did it and have a nice chat and, uh, and hold that position. Have so you, I've, some- I've suggested, let me know if this is wrong, but I've suggested ice at the top, like an ice pack and music or light near the base of the belly. You know, it, it depends. So I tend to go away from ice because it constricts tissues. Okay, that makes a lot and of sense. And then the other thing, thinking like if the head is caught under the ribs, ice isn't going to do anything. That's true. All right. Now, thank you for That's why you didn't mention it. I'm like, well, I've heard this, so why not check in? Okay. And then I've had some students put headphones um, right at the base, like right above the pubic bone. Okay. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I do that I, with my I, own kids. Heat really isn't a bad idea mm-hmm. um, because heat does um, open up tissues and create space. So I don't think that's a bad idea. The ice is the only thing that, you know, I, I do think twice about. No, so. thank you. Thank you. I, that's why, I, I mean, I'm not pretending I know everything. That's why I ask these questions, not just for me, but for uh, other but people. I remember one time back when, I, back when I was a doula, one time we did the the slant board and then we put um, frozen peas on top of the where the baby's head was and then we went in for to get an external version, and the doctor turned the baby. He's like, that is the easiest external version I've done. <laughs> and we told him what we'd been doing, and he says, well, I still w- move away from frozen vegetables today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to ask one more question. We're going to take a quick break, but I'm going to ask, do you have any words of wisdom for those whose baby did not turn regardless of whatever technique they've tried? And how to surrender and accept a birth that may not reflect how they originally envisioned their birth. I think we talked earlier about just claiming and owning it. And yeah, but like that's how an can they do that? <laughs> that's easier said than done. You know, I think that it's like, what are they really looking for in that vaginal birth anyway? Well, what did they want at it? Besides the vaginal birth, besides avoiding surgery, you know, what, what did they really want? What were they looking for? And, you know, and and so a lot of people will say that they wanted to process, they wanted to connect with their baby. And 
and then thinking about like how 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 can you take elements of that and do it with however you move forward from now you know um you know no matter how they choose to birth you know um how, how do you connect with your baby when you have a cesarean like I mentioned, you know, maybe even bookending it with that that place of um, talk, telling baby. First of all, we all like to know what's going to happen in our day, but telling baby what's going to happen with your day—that's a great way to start to connect. Um, you know, you know, also, ha- you know, having a cesarean, even preparing to have a cesarean and awareness of of the people around you, like. You know, if you're going to have a cesarean, then like, what are your options even for having a cesarean birth? Um, you know, some people will be able to go into labor before they have a cesarean and they'll, they'll be able to have that option. I know that's seen sometimes as radical, but if it were that radical, they'd be doing the cesarean at 37 weeks instead of 39. And I, I do find some people find that early labor to be a really great time to connect before they do have their cesarean. Um, so, uh, and then on the flip side, really looking at valuing what your body's done and connecting with baby. And, and maybe it's when you come home, maybe it's at the hospital, but it's when you get in that dark, sweaty room with the baby's skin to skin, just like when baby was born. So we talk within midwifery about sequencing, that there is an expected sequencing for babies. There's an expected sequencing in pregnancy and expected sequencing for birth and as a nursing and as a toddler and as a 10 year old and as a 20 year old and as a 40 year old. And at some point it's going to get interrupted. And it's not so much about the interruption as it is the restoration. And, and where, where do we as, as um, a family restore that if it's been interrupted, you know, and, and so sometimes that's going to be after the birth. And sometimes that, that interruption isn't as much with the baby, or maybe it's also with you as the mother or as the parent. And so looking at, um, celebrating your body with scar tissue remediation later on, um, you know, and, and giving special attention to your body and what it's done then. So that, that was wonderful and really great information. I really feel that, you know, I've asked that question of people before, and I really like how you, how you put that. We're going to take a momentary break. When we come back, I'm going to ask for one piece of advice or tip you would like to offer new and expectant parents. Okay, we'll be right back. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. And we're back. <laughs> so what is one piece of advice or tip you'd like to offer for new or expectant parents? I think I've been offering it all along. And yeah. you know, there's just, it's this place of how do you, how do you find a support system that you feel supported by? How do you connect to your baby and to your, your partner? Um, you know, and, and highlighting those because there's so much about birth that's unpredictable. And 
we think that we are totally in control with the planned cesarean or the planned home birth or the planned birth center birth or whatever we have. And, and, you know, sometimes things don't go as we plan. Sometimes they go better than we planned. And sometimes they, they just go, go very differently. And, and so finding those resources. That's great. And where can people find your work? So I have um, different websites. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm also a storyteller, so I do storytelling too. Um, let's see here. My work for Beach is mostly going to be found. You can look at, first of all, Spinning Babies. And so you can find look at spinningbabies.com at the website, and you're going to find a lot of things having to do with Gail Tolley, who was the founder of Spinning Babies and is really the influence for a lot of this work. Um, there's a spinning babies aware practitioner class for body workers and for birth workers who want to learn the hands-on nature of, uh, the soft tissues involved with fetal positioning and bring that back to your own community and transform your midwifery practice or transform your body practice. Um, so you can look at that again on spinning babies. And then for my own stuff, you can look on, um, I have a blog on art of opening, um, which is my website and, um, I also have breachbirthsd.com, and it started out with just a few breach bombs and myself, and we just put together um, a load of resources as it comes our way, having to do with um, breach information for parents and a little bit for providers about all the things that we've talked about today. All good information. I wish that I can get spinning babies. I know there's somebody up in Boston. Um, I think Lorenza's her name. I did a workshop with her here in, I think it was out in Long Island, but there's so few spinning baby workshops in the New York area. Let's try to change that. <laughs> Mainly for my own selfish needs. <laughs> But I really love the work that you do. Thank you so much for your time and your knowledge and really just such good information and, and from the heart information. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. It was nice to talk with you today. And it's, it's always lovely to, you know, talk about, about breach and, and help get the information out there. Um, thank you for having me. Thank you. Enjoy your day. Bye. All right. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.